So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. After a bit of a wobble before Christmas, things seem to be back on track as 2023 becomes 2024. A solid, if unspectacular, win against Sheffield United last Saturday means that Manchester City start the new year within touching distance of the top of the table. And that's all we really wanted to see, given Pep Guardiola's history of turning it on in the springtime. But for now, attention turns away from the defence of the Premier League and towards the defence of the FA Cup. Later in the show, we'll hear from Matt Shaw from the Huddersfield podcast, and he takes that chance to find out more about City's round three opposition. And we'll also reflect on the only time so far that City have had to play in rounds one and two of the competition since there was automatic seeding for teams in the top two divisions. That's all on the way. I'm David Mooney and joining me to discuss all of that and more is City fan Kieran Murray. Hello there. And the Athletics Mark Critchley. How are we doing? You all right? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Kieran, uh, back in favour after some time off. Um, have you had a chance to think about your recent performances on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, uh, that little spell on the sidelines, like uh, <laughs> Joe Hart that time, was really like sort of my head out. I just want to make the gaffer proud again, so yeah. um, I'm ready to podcast. Good, good. Focus now. That's, uh, that's what yeah, I like to hear. In the zone. Uh, in the zone. Good. And uh, Mark, the other the other thing I was thinking about, the January transfer window is now open, so are you hoping to put yourself in the shop window with a good display today? <laughs> um, I'm not just in the shop window. This is a direct come and get me plea to, <laughs> to any other City podcasts. My head's gone. I'm firing up the notes app. Come and get me. Excellent, excellent. Uh, right, so let's talk about City. Um, 2024 is upon us, which means a packed schedule of FA Cup, AFCON and, of course, Premier League action. Beat the January Blues and watch every game with the atmosphere it deserves down at your local Green King sports pub. Don't settle for a dodgy stream. If it's on the telly, it's on at your local Green King across their huge HD screens. If you download the Green King sports app, you also receive 10% off every single drink whenever there's a game on. Um Let's start then by looking back at uh, the game with Sheffield United. Um, I said solid but unspectacular at the start of the show. Um, and Kieran, I'm, I'm guessing as a fan, you kind of wanted to see that after recent games. Yeah, I mean, it was dull as dishwater, wasn't it? But um, to to kind of put that in context of, of what's been happening lately, uh, it was refreshing and it was quite nice to see. It was quite needed. I seem to recall a Sheffield United home game in the lockdown season where... Uh, if you remember Ferran Torres with that nice little bit of skill set up, Jesus, it was a 1-0 game, but it felt like the shackles were on again in that game. And it, it sort of set the temperature for what was to come. Um, we bang on about control all the time and we know Pep desires it and requires it. Um, it's just been kind of found wanting a little bit lately, um, particularly at home, bizarrely. So it was um, it was quite nice to get a clean sheet and it was quite nice to just basically passed Sheffield United to death. I think it was 82% possession for City. Um, so, yeah, they didn't really get a whiff. And I, it was, yeah, it was needed. 
I've just realised that there. I, I, I suspect there are never any entertaining games against Sheffield United because the the game <laughs> that you were were um, mentioning then, Kieran, I have no memory of whatsoever. Um, <laughs> and the one I thought you were going to mention was I think it was a two nil win uh, at the start of twenty twenty um, because the only thing I remember that game for. And sorry to bring the mood down, everyone. Is that was the same day that there was uh, that the very first COVID case in the UK was confirmed. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. So so yeah, that's uh, nothing good ever happens against Sheffield United it seems. Um, Mark Garen said there it's important to get a clean sheet and I guess it w- that was important but I also think it was important to go through a game without a silly mistake that led to a goal if that makes sense yeah I think so because that's been a, a bit of a theme recently um, I thought look it, it was largely a game that's not been too dissimilar from performances recently um, you know I thought the second half at Everton we saw some of that control that we always talk about, I, I you know, I, look, I didn't think it was massively different from from Palace performance-wise. It's just in key moments, not making errors and not making mistakes, and, yeah. and, and maintaining that level. Um, and yeah, but even then, though, I, there was still like some little bits of some little bits of sloppiness creeping in. There was that ball over at the top um, of Gradio for the cross just towards the end of the first half, and like. Um, but again, like I thought, yeah, him, Akanji, Ake, I thought they were impressively solid. And yeah, look, it, 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 is ju- it just comes back to managing the game properly. And that's what City have been accused of in recent weeks. That's where things have fallen down. Um, I thought that was the issue against Palace in the last 10 minutes or so. Um, but you, you we're never really going to have that problem here, given just, you know, <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's fair to say, look, Wilder's improved Sheffield United, but they're, they're still probably the weakest team in, in the league at the moment. Um, they were missing a few players as well. So it was always going to be this, the sort of routine game that we expected. It was just nice that there were no surprises this time. Yeah, I've just I've just realised that I said important to get a game without mistakes. So it's actually just that it, they did make mistakes. They just didn't lead to goals. I just remembered um, Ake leaving a pass for Gradiol when he wasn't there and it just rolling straight out for That's a throw it. in. Yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. oh, there was the Walker one that just went straight out of play. And I mean, like... Y- y- Given like if you if you hand over opportunities, sometimes you get punished, but more often than not, you don't. And I just feel like City have been, um, yeah, like the, their mistakes have been picked up on the last few weeks, whereas they, they perhaps weren't. But there weren't too many of them either. We should say, yeah, City unduly punished. This uh, is a phrase that I could get. I, I could I could get used to that. Um, you know, with the, with the wider context of things going on. Um, Kieran, managers have talked about hanging on in there against City lately, um, and like as much as we talk about those individual mistakes at various points, and you know, Sheffield United having the opportunity to create something from them um ultimately it's good that that you know Edison didn't actually have anything to do in that game and in previous games in the final minutes they've the games have really turned tetchy but there was no real danger of that in this one yeah I mean if you watch the match of the day highlights it looked as if Sheffield United were a lot busier than they were if you watched the full 90 minutes um they were they were probably a bit more uh in tune in the first half but we just we just saw it out completely in the second um as I said, the possession was just really useful for that. Um, holding on to the ball the whole entire game, really, just never gave them a, a sniff uh, at all. Um, and it was was refreshing because the really surprising things were happening, um, particularly the Palace game uh, late on. And you couldn't really quite get your head around it. It, it didn't seem to be... Uh, deserving or warranted given the performances so it, it was just really nice at City maturely and you know with control and confidence kind of um, saw the game out like this like the sort of City of old really um, knowing that to be dull is to be successful sometimes and um, 
when the team against you aren't really offering up an awful lot to just to just pass, pass, pass. I think Roddy didn't he make something like 166 passes in the game. Um, so it just some crazy stats came out of it, but um, it it certainly meant that we weren't hanging on in there. Uh, come come the later stages. Yeah, I mean, Guardiola afterwards, Mark, said something like uh, they, they weren't pressing us, so we decided to just pass, pass, pass. And I was just kind of like, that's a man who's just seeing a game out there. That's, that, like, if you've got absolutely no intention to do anything other than stop the opposition having the ball, then <laughs> I mean, I get, I mean, first off, I guess Rodri's probably a man for that as well. But uh, I mean, City were just existing towards the end of that game in order to make it a, a comfortable win, weren't they? But that's how you do it, isn't it? And I think, um, you know, for all you want to talk about hanging on in there, um, and I know Wilder mentioned that, and I know Hodgson's mentioned that as well after the Palace game, but that that kind of game plan only works on the proviso that, first of all, City don't absolutely blow you out the water anyway, um, which they didn't in either of these games, to be fair, but also that they just don't kill the game completely with control and the pass, pass, pass once you get into those final stages. And again, like that's perhaps has been the failing in recent games sometimes, but um, I don't, like again, more often than not, that that is what City will do, and that is you know it's Guardiola's wet dream, isn't it? If he gets that, if he gets the chance to do that, so um, so yeah, look, I don't think there was any danger in the end, and and yeah, the, they saw it the last fifteen or so fairly comfortably, I thought. Yeah, um, just on Rodri, Mark. Um, he got he got man of the match in the stadium, which I uh, was a little bit surprised at because I thought, to, yeah, I thought she got someone else who we'll come to a bit later on, uh, okay. not to not to have any spoilers for later in the show. Um, <laughs> they could uh, but, be possibly talking. About uh, yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of his uh, of his performance, uh, you can see sometimes when he takes the game by the scruff of the neck that that opening goal. I mean, it, it was a nice finish and a nice run, but the chip, the, the little chip to get out of trouble to start with first off was yeah. uh, was very cute wasn't it yeah and I think he's we've seen a little bit more look I don't think he's the best holding midfielder in in Europe in the world essentially yeah we all know that perhaps we haven't always seen that at times this season but um he, he is I think adding certain more elements to his game particularly over the last year um I think I was looking at something before I mean he had the most shots of any player in this match specifically but I think it's only Haaland, Alvarez and Foden who've had more than him this season so we are seeing him have that license to stride forward. And, you know, when a, a defence is occupied with four different attackers and perhaps you've got, I don't know, Kovacic or Nunes or whoever alongside him offering a little bit more security, you aren't quite as adventurous. Then you're seeing him being able to really drive at defences and take up these positions. And, and yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an element of his game that's really come along um, <laughs> that we've seen most, most famously in Istanbul, of course, but again, at, at different times throughout the season. And um, it's just making him all the more a complete player. Yeah. Second time he scored home and away against the same team in a season, Kieran. Do you remember the other? No. It was uh, it was the the second goal was the Arsenal goal on New Year's Day when he oh, uh, decided right, to yeah. go full Burt mm. in the corner. Oh, yes. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, why Why do you think then? I mean, everything that Mark's just said about him is is obviously like a, a part of this. But uh, why is he so important to City? Like, like when you think back to Guardiola's teams, it always used to be Fernandinho. You can't replace him. And then when they kind of phased away from Fernandinho to Rodri, it's now Rodri. You can't replace him. Is it just that position in City's team? Well, Pep just loves a midfielder, doesn't he? And Rodri has just got a, a bit of everything. Um, as as Mark's been touching upon, his game's kind of evolved and developed so much. But it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I, I sort of believe that we ran Fernandinho 
into the ground. <laughs> um, like he could barely move by the end of a city career. Um, and it was just because he was such an unbelievably important figure, leader, um, and player on the pitch and how he could knit everything together. He could dismantle things and then break the lines and, you know, could could uh, contribute goals as well. So it's just Rodri all of a sudden has become, like, indispensable, really. And it's a worry that, you know, those games where he got banned uh, this season... Um, when he had his red card, and then he was he was banned against Villa, wasn't he? So um, we've was really he? missed him. Was he? Was he? Or was he just left out? That's the... <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, out of favour with Pep, didn't he? Um, yeah. So it, those games when you when you're without him, when your when your hand is forced and you can't play him, um, City's weaknesses are just exposed. So he's just he's first name on the team sheet, most important player, uh, all the other cliches, and. Yeah, he's just he is. He's the best. He's the best holding midfielder in the world, and and his game is just going from strength to strength. Even though he's probably not been at his best this season, it's a mad little paradox. Yeah, it it, it just kind of goes to show, doesn't it, Mark, that the importance of that position. Because if you were to compare Fernandinho as a player to Rodri as a player, they're completely different, and the the way they do the job is completely different. And yet, like it, it, Guardiola has built his two teams around that position and that player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, it's it's the one that he knows best. It's it's his kind of eyes on the field. It's where he sees the whole uh, the the game as he was as a player. That's his understanding of the game as a manager. So, um, yeah, no, I, look, I think it's interesting. I, I, Fernandinho, you're right. It was it's almost a completely different skill set. He was he was more of a kind of a destroyer in the end, and you know, we, it felt like he was being run ragged a lot of the time. He was kind of like, I guess, he was always a lot like older than we actually thought, given he joined. He was like the reverse Luke Littler, if you like. You know, he was always... <laughs> <laughs> he was... It, 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 you kind of like, wait, this guy's like 36 now, whoa. And uh, it doesn't feel like he's been around that long. But um, and, and you could see them flagging towards the end, whereas Rodri, obviously, younger now in the prime of his City career and and is able to do so much more on the pitch. And yet, um, you're right, that importance still stays. Like, look, I guess, like, uh, people know all the stats about whenever he's not in the team, you know, City don't perform that well i think something someone put in our in our slack channel at work the other day it's like 48 games unbeaten in all competitions in which he's played now and like the next best of any premier league players de bruyne are on 23 and so like that just again just symbolizes his importance and we don't really need to restate that but um i, I feel like if, you know if, if guardiola is going to pick the two i i, th- I think he'd probably want Rodrigo with Fernandinho just because he's that more complete. He's adding so many more dimensions to his game now that it gives City a lot more options as well. Yeah. Um, the uh, the other interesting thing about uh, this, Kieran, is that if he can't get a rest against bottom of the table at home, uh, when is he going to get a rest? <laughs> mm, well, that was it, yeah. And again, the Fernandinho thing, it just it felt like he was ever-present, never got a rest, and then come the end of it, uh, his limbs were hanging off. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess this... This is looking good. January's a, a quiet month, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what is it? Three three games. Including... Well, there's, yeah. There's one game a week. Uh, obviously, it's a, a lower league side in the FA Cup who are struggling in the Championship, and mm. uh, the winter breaks in there as well. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's said himself, hasn't he, Rodri, that he's knackered. Uh, so this this would be a good time to rest him. It's also probably worthwhile giving a go and giving a run out to some of the players in that position, maybe against Huddersfield, um, 
who who can do a job there. Although it feels like those it feels like those options are, are fairly limited. Um, well, they got cycled qu- through quite quickly in a three week spell in uh, <laughs> when he was suspended, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all, all the options did, didn't really pay dividends, did they? Compared to what Rodri can offer, um, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because we know that Guardiola likes to likes to play strong teams, even in circumstances that suggest you know you should be resting players. Um, but with the context of the January being a restful period, anyway. Um, maybe maybe play him against Huddersfield yeah um let's uh look a little bit wider at the at the game mark because um after the game Guardiola talked about a little bit about the tempo and the rhythm of that, that, that City were playing it um he I mean it was fairly obvious from watching him that that Jack Grealish was struggling in the game um and, I mean we don't know the effect of of the burglary and that uh the off the pitch stuff has had on his uh, on his mental state for playing the game um but I thought it was interesting that Guardiola said he brought Oscar Bob on to improve the rhythm and like I, I'm trying to decide whether it's because Oscar Bob is, is quite trusted to do that, or if it's just the fact that he looked at the bench and there was literally nobody else there. <laughs> there, there was. I did check that this morning. I was like, wait, wait, who was on the bench and what were the other options? And there weren't many, to be fair. But um, I think like what what I thought was interesting about what Pep said asked was was that he was considering starting him, and it wasn't even that he was considering starting him over Grealish. So like that's that change, if you like, wasn't the one that was specifically in mind but he clearly feels that Bob is able to come in and um, yeah fit the rhythm of the game and I think you could see that from just from his contribution once he was on I mean um, like the, the pass for the second goal I mean I know Foden gets a lot of credit out of this game and uh, a lot of rare reviews but uh to find the space and the timing and the weight of that pass, the precision of it. Take takes, out he takes seven, four, yeah, four players in one goal. Four players, yeah, four. I was going to say three, it's four. Yeah, you're right. It's four players that he takes out in one ball. And um, look, that's not necessarily, well, I guess it is rhythm actually, because, you know, when we think of Guardiola in rhythm, we think about sideways passes and we think, but it's about picking the right pass at the right moment and, and killing the game when you can and when you need to and when it's safe to do so. And um, yeah, I think it speaks volumes that he's, that he's brought him on, brought him on so early that he's considered starting him in the first place. Um, and I think, you know, as we move into a period of games where perhaps they aren't of the greatest importance compared, relatively compared to others and where there is the opportunity to rest and rotate, um, yeah, this is absolutely a possibility that we could see more of him in the coming weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, Kieran, it's good to see Oscar Bob arrive into a game when he's not when it's not a case of go on there, go on, put put out all these fires that have been created. Because the the only other time I remember him coming on in those sort of circumstances in the, in the league, anyway, was uh, Villa and Wolves, and in in both of those, City were in a mess and needed sorting out, and that wasn't the case against Sheffield United. Yeah, or the alternative when subs and uh, youth players get brought on is when. City are cruising three or four nil, and and there's those sort of token substitute uh, subs, substitutions being made. Um, so yeah, it was really nice to see him actually brought on for a more senior player who was having a bit of a shocker, but uh, for uh, with mitigating circumstances. Um, and yeah, he was brilliant. He didn't look out of place at all. Um, the pass, the pass for Foden to set up Alvarez was f- phenomenal. Um, talking about rhythm. To, to put your studs on the ball and wait and wait and wait and, and allow Foden to make that run, take those four players out of the game. Um, I love a good pre-assist and, and that was a great example of one. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it is, yeah, it's a, it's nice to see him when it's not just like, we'll look at the bench, 
let's hope he can he can produce some magic when we're in trouble or look at the bench and let's you know give him some token minutes out there um he actually was brought on to change the game and and it's it's great to see the trust in him and it's also great to see how great he is and how he doesn't look out of place one bit. Yeah. When Guardiola brought him on uh, at Wolves, I remember after the game he said uh, that he, he wanted someone who was good in the small spaces. And I remember thinking at that time uh, that it, it, it sounds like the sort of thing that Guardiola might say as as kind of like to throw out there as as um, like a, an excuse for bringing him on. When at the time he was just like, it was just a change that to try and spark something but now I like the more that I've I've seen Bob's performances in the weeks in the weeks after I'm kind of like yeah I get it I can get why he would throw him into that situation I still don't think it was a great thing for him to do at, at Molyneux but it like it, you, the, mm. the context that it adds afterwards you can kind of understand why he did it um Mark hey? yeah um and I think the I don't think we can really understate like the importance of the fact that right now if City suddenly have a player from the academy that can come in and can do a job in these circumstances. Um, that's that's something that this part of the season that not a lot of teams are able to call upon. You know, there's a lot of players, there are a lot of clubs that are losing players to Afcon, they're losing players to the Asian Cup. Um, City don't have anybody going. I think I'm right in saying. Um, and then if you've got Haaland coming back, if you've got De Bruyne coming back, if you've got Doku coming back, but you've also got Oscar Bob breaking in, then that's just another option. And it, it feels like. You know, again, like through you know everything that's been going right at City's academy over the last few years, if you like, um, that's only that's only strengthening things going forward, and and it, it could be a really kind of crucial, just he could not a crucial, I would say, but you know, just that just that supplementary role to play over the next few weeks when you know things will be shaken around a little bit given all the disruption that there is yeah. in the rest of the league. Um, then Bob's, I, I I can really see Bob having having a role to play over the over the next few weeks, yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's finish on the fella that I thought should have been man of the match, um, Kieran. After the ending to the Everton game and uh, the way Foden played in there, it was a really nice follow up to see him in the centre against Sheffield United. And again, like, I understand it's only Sheffield United; it is bottom of the table at home. You know, the arguably the weakest team in the league. Um, there's there's less for Guardiola to worry about with the things that Foden can't do defensively or the things he doesn't see Foden do defensively. Um, but at the same time, you look at, at the, the growing bank of evidence now, like Foden is doing well in the centre, isn't he? Yeah, he's absolutely wonderful. Um, I saw somebody tweet saying uh, it's a real pity that he's doing well in the centre just as De Bruyne is about to come back because uh, presumably he'd be shunted out to the wing again soon. But um, it's we've all wanted to see it for so long. Um, there's been a clamour for Foden in the middle for years now, it feels like, and it's brilliant that he's got his chance, and in the last couple of games, he, he's taken a, um, a goal and two assists in his last in his last two games from the centre is just wonderful, and the chances he's creating... Um, the one off the post at Everton, like, oh, if that had gone in. Yeah. I know. It's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because that ball over the top that Rodri gave him, that he, an unbelievable first touch, and then he just sort of had to take it around the keeper, but he got his feet caught up a little bit. Um, just one of these days he's going to score just an unforgettable goal that we'll be talking about for years and years. Is it is um, it too much is it too me to say that that was good goalkeeping? Uh, <laughs> yes it is to you yeah um, but can you elaborate? Uh, well he just stands him up well and forces him wide and then gets hand on the on the ball and causes him problems and like Foden can never get it under control because of that. Yeah. Yeah fair enough. Um it's just Goalkeepers Union, all <laughs> it, isn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, no. From a from a, a city attacking perspective, uh, it was a, it was a wonderful move, and um, 
yeah, it's folding in the middle is just it, it's a funny one because you're like long may I continue, but you know what's going to happen when uh, when De Bruyne is fit again? Uh, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be hard to sort of squeeze them both in there, or and it's going to be hard to, to put Foden there ahead of him. So um, the only thing is he's brilliant wherever he plays in my eyes. So uh, it's just he's he's gathering he's gathering pace and he's gathering form, and it's uh, it's it's wonderful to see. Yeah. Now, uh, Mark, you, you, I sensed you disagreed with me on the uh, man of the match thing. Um, my case is that basically Foden just seemed to be at the scene, and every time anything good happened for City, Foden was there. No, I think that's totally fair enough. I think Rodri's first half performance was um, just at the centre of everything, but perhaps not from the same kind of wow factor perspective. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just because he was so central to everything and running the game. But um, no, Foden took on that mantle in the second half. Absolutely. Um, I I find it interesting, like, why why do people want to see him in the centre? Is it just because the centre is better than playing wide? Is it because you're more involved? I guess you are more involved, but we've seen a couple of times this season, like, I, remember, I think back to the Newcastle game right at the start, the, the 1-0, um, where he was on the right, but he was coming drifting into the centre more. And I just wonder whether that's one way of making it work with, you know, with, whether it's Alvarez or De Bruyne or who. Whichever players are coming back, or however, however Pep's going to try and fix it up, whether that's one way of of making it happen and just kind of pleasing everybody, um, yeah. like a sort of compromise. I still think, um, you know, it's always been Pep's thing has always been that he doesn't really have defensively, he doesn't have the house, and and I get it. Like um, even in games like this against Sheffield United, because you have to be aware of the counter attack, you need to be in the right place, and you need to you know, make sure that you're preventing those opportunities from arising even before anybody notices them. But, um, you know, I can't think of it. I can't think of a, a Sheffield United break on Saturday that was you particularly put down to Foden uh, or him being in the wrong position. I think, you know, he's, he's, he's learning those aspects of his game. He's developing in that manner. Um, so I, there's potential absolutely for it to happen. I just, I'm just still as sceptical as anybody else that Pep's actually going to go with it when, yeah. when push comes to shove, to be honest. AG1 is empowering people to take ownership of their health. Designed by scientists, it's a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 high-quality ingredients. AG1 is a powerfully simple supplement with vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced nutrients, and more in a single scoop that takes seconds to mix each morning. It helps you support your brain, heart, energy, and immune health. While we all have a degree of individuality, science tells us that the human body is interconnected, which is why AG1 contains over 70 ingredients to support your baseline nutrition. Drinking AG1 is the best way to feel reassured that you're supporting your body with a broad range of nutrients that it needs. It can help with your stress and mood balance. That's down to its powerful plant extracts, adaptogenic herbs, and antioxidants to help you support your metabolism and promote mental clarity, alertness, and better focus. It can also help with your immune health too. AG1 is your daily dose of vitamin C, zinc, functional mushrooms, and more. You can make it an effortless daily habit. When setting intentions, consistency is the key and building healthy habits can be difficult. That's why AG1 is designed to be as quick and simple as possible. One scoop, once a day, mixed with water. It takes less than a minute and tastes great too. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash blue moon. That's drinkag1.com forward slash blue moon. Check it out. Ad free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
I find the wider people want in there interesting, actually, because when you said that, I'm like, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, talked about the clamour for him in the middle, and then I couldn't actually yeah. rationalise why. Yeah, everybody, everybody wants it, and it's not even City fans. It's it. Like when I was covering England, it was like, why doesn't he play? For, why doesn't he play Foden in the middle? Why doesn't he play Foden at all? But like, and I guess it's just because he he feels like a natural ten, doesn't he? Like the mm. way the way he takes the ball, the way he carries it, like when he does that glide that he does, um, just dribbling with it, um, it, it just looks like a player that should be running things in the centre of the pitch. But um, he's always been pretty effective wide, to be honest as well. It's just, yeah. I, but there is just this this clamour um, for him to play centrally. And and to be honest, in those moments when he is when he is dictating the game, when he is dominating, you can see why. Yeah, I. Uh, this is a name. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll just drop the name and then like I can pick it up afterwards. But uh, whenever I talk to Nadam about um, <laughs> like systems and setup and all this sort of stuff, he always stumps me because he always says things like, uh, "When you when you talk about playing in a formation, when are the players in that formation? Is it a kickoff? Mm. Is it when they've got the ball? Is it like what? Well, because when when City have got the ball, the players are not really in their set positions because they all kind of move around anyway. So like when you say oh, I want Foden to play in the middle, it's like well, like, like you say, Mark, that new castle game he was playing in the middle he didn't start there and that's not that wasn't his position but yeah like he was playing in the middle so like it, it it doesn't we maybe we focus too much on where players are and what setup Guardiola's using when actually it's like it's he's picked 11 players and it's like go out and go and do these jobs we should be talking about jobs rather than formation and setup I don't know but I'm not intelligent enough to uh to make that uh make that argument and talk about that properly you just did no no but I can't I can't expand on it any further than that so that's like I'm gonna have to quickly move it on um I mean the, the interesting thing, Kieran, about this, about Foden in the middle is um, I, I often wonder if, do you remember when Foden was coming through and you think back to 2017, 2018, 2019, and the clamour was, oh, Foden's got to be in the team. Foden has got to be in the team and Guardiola's not picking him. And then now he it, it, like, it, it, it kind of really slowly introduced him. Well, when we all look back at it, we, we all go, oh, he, he handled that quite well, actually. He, you know, he did it perfectly. And now the the, the clamour is get Foden in the centre. And you can see again, he's, he's doing it a little bit. It's like the drip by drip, the slow moments here where he's, uh, where he's doing it. Maybe it's by design. Maybe it is also by circumstances that there's nobody available but it, it just feels like the two things are a, a, a bit of an echo of each other yeah that's absolutely fair yeah um it's been said before but i think peps handled Foden's career and development to this stage magnificently really um he hasn't let him get ahead of himself he is kind of tempered his um his form and his progress and he's a much better player for it i think we we talked about um Pep used to say he was a bit too quick and a bit too almost rash going forward, and he needed he needed to find that kind of control, that pause, if you like, um, and slow things down sometimes, and develop his football and brain. Because as we all know, he's just you know he he wants to be he wants to be playing football. We've seen the videos of him in the park with his top off, just running about. Um, so he's just he's just an absolute born footballer and. When you're that raw and you're that natural, maybe you have to come on board a little bit with the tactical sort of um, way of thinking. And when he held him back at the beginning and we were all kind of wanting him to let him off the leash a little bit, uh, slow and steady sort of won that race, I think. Uh, And the player he is now has benefited from, yeah, as you say, sort of drip by drip. Um, And and look at him go now. So, yeah, I mean, the, the... the clamour for him in the middle, um, and I'm sure he wants to be playing there too. Although 
does he even want to play in the middle? We don't, we don't, we don't really know. Like, uh, there's this sort of uh, this sort of unspoken assumption that everybody, including him, wants him in the middle. But um, Mark has kind of thrown a spanner in the works of that thinking because <laughs> now, now I'm scratching my head, going, "Where has this actually come from?" Yeah, um, I think I think he does. He has said in the past that he does. And, yeah, um, I think it's I think it's just something to do with him being like a local lad. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. people think relate to him. They want to see him as a mainstay in the team, and that. That I guess central you know, pivotal central, role, central, yeah, exactly. Sort of spotlight exactly. on him a little bit, yeah, yeah. It's word association, basically. So yeah, um, yeah. I, look, I, it's strange. I think like I'd never made that connection that you did, uh, Dave, with the with the course for him to play and now the course for him to play in the middle. But it makes total sense, I think, and it's kind of a continuum from it. And like, I don't know, he's twenty three now, so he's not like in these prime development years, but he is still absolutely got he's got loads of room to grow and, and and to learn and he's under he's under a, a manager that's going to tutelage him in in that way if he wants to i just don't know it's about what options are available at any given time and 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 that makes me suspect that maybe we'll just see him shunted out to the wing sooner rather than later again yeah kieran before we move on did you just drop the audio version of um the tortoise meme in the conversation there i think i did yeah when you said slow and steady wins the race yeah, <laughs> yeah. i must say that that did pop into my head that little uh... <laughs> yeah good if you, yeah. if you don't know what i'm talking about go and have a look at kieran's twitter you will find the meme pretty quickly um if you uh, <laughs> down his post um <laughs> right let's move on and city begin their fa cup defense this week when they host huddersfield in the third round we'll preview that game shortly but first we're on another trip to the club's worst ever period it was 25 years ago that city played their only fa cup first and second round ties in the last 100 years the 98-99 season was the first time the club had to enter the competition in round one since they were eliminated in round one in 1924 sam rosbottom explains what happened When City dropped to the third tier in May 1998, the picture seemed bleak. The local derby was against Macclesfield, just two years after it had been against Manchester United, and for the first time in 74 years, the club had to play in the first round proper of the FA Cup. Fans had been used to being seeded to enter the competition in round three, but in dropping out of the top two divisions, they no longer had that luxury. In round one, they saw off Halifax Town of Division 3, what's now League 2, at Main Road. This is Lee Crooks, goes long this time looking for Sean Gota, who's got it by the defender. Dickov and Craig Russell screaming for it, it's Russell and it's 1-0 Man City after 7 minutes. Forward from Bishop, Gota, Dickov, good play from Manchester City and this is Russell again, is it 2? It is a really clinical finish. City quite content to... Take possession football now, they've got uh, Craig Russell in here, and that's good pace from Russell, and that's Gota, and that's the simplest of finishes. We've had 65 minutes, and Manchester City lead by three goals to nil. That was a comfortable victory, but it was nothing of the sort in round two. City had an away trip to Darlington, also at the division below, but Joe Royal's side needed a replay and extra time to get the job done. Michael Brown scored the winner, but he'd only made two starts before the Darlington replay in mid-December. I found myself not really even involved. It was difficult not to start the season. I just remember Joro pulling me in and his mate was manager of Hull over League Two at the time. And he said, oh, you're going to Hull. You're going to Hull. Pulled me in his office and said, no, you're not being played. I said, well, no, I want, why am I not playing here? He said, well, they're doing a better job and uh, I want them to play. And he said, why don't you go to Hull? 
at that point I looked at it and I thought it was a big turning point in my career actually and I said I'm not going to hold, I'm going to stay here. I stuck to my guns and then come November, December because I'd, you know, the fans, I'd gotten great with the fans then, I'd been doing well. There was a pressure for him to put me back in. Brown had come off the bench in round one against Halifax. He missed the first game with Darlington entirely but then he started the replay. It took a little while from the start. I think I played in a cup game against Darlington and managed to, to score one of my better goals. Or well, one I, of my I, goals. I wanted to ask about that. I mean, do you still remember it? I do, because I'm from Hartlepool, so to score against Darlington at any point, you know, it's um, it's always a classic. But you know, I remember just amazing through and managed to somehow, I think it was in the FA Cup, I think. So obviously I was only probably getting a game because it was the cup and... I'd done well and, you know, I found myself back in the team. The goalkeeper that Brown dribbled around on his way to scoring his solo goal was David Priest. In the years since retiring, he's become a goalkeeping coach and regularly comments on the specifics of goalkeeping online and in the media. We had him on the podcast during lockdown in 2020, so we simply had to ask him about that pair of games. Considering the state of old pitch of themes at the time, which was, it, it, it had been better served as uh, for growing potatoes really, but we, we we played some some good football under David Hodgson. We had some experience in there alongside some some real good young players and, um, and, and it was a real good test for us uh, for where we were at that time. And both games were closely contested. Um, I remember Paul Dickoff scoring a late equaliser at Feetums to take it to that second game. That's going to fall to Dickoff. Oh, what a strike! Paul Dickoff, out of nothing, has got City level. Well, they needed inspiration and they got it from Paul Dickoff. After the, how well we played in both games, it was a bit of a pill to swallow that uh, we lost in such circumstances at the end of the game, but it was a, a goal worthy of winning the tie. That got City into the third round where teams from the top two divisions entered the competition. They drew Premier League side Wimbledon and faced a trip to Selhurst Park, where the Dons were ground-sharing with Crystal Palace at the time. The home side won 1-0 in a game with very few highlights. City's new defender, Andy Morrison, was sent off in the aftermath of the winning goal. It was just two, two lads, you know, who had, had a tackle and a, a skirmish and square up to each other and move on. You know, when Graham Pohl sent me off, and I spoke, I saw Graham Pohl after the incident, and he said when he reviewed it, he said he would have, he wouldn't even booked us, he would have spoke to us. But the way, um, I think about Wendy Tom's rings a bell, um, the way she described it was that you know we had we'd grabbed each other by the throat and we'd thrown each other, and it, it was nothing like that because Graham was actually carrying on with the game, so it was uh, the wrong decision. As detailed in Morrison's book. The suspension was a problem. No, the suspension um, again gave me an opportunity to seek out what um, which what I did on many occasions when life just seemed to catch up on me, uh, and I just needed to, you know to get some sort of oblivion, and I just needed to get out, you know. And if I could have gone and wired myself up to to an anaesthetic, like when when you've had an operation and just drift away for a couple of days and then come back, I would have done because that's what I always needed. I just needed to escape from life. I headed to Scotland and I'd already sorted out with Joe to get the Monday off and I think the team were playing Stoke and, and off I went and uh, that was the final piece for me that uh, you know allowed me to, to, to have to look at myself and look at the way I was living and, and look at my addiction problems and you know when from here to this day now you know I've not touched, needed or wanted a drink of alcohol. Morrison worked with City staff, in particularly the assistant manager Willie Donachie to turn his life and his career around after that FA Cup tie in January 1999. Meanwhile, City's fortunes continued to improve on the pitch too. 
May Potter run a results together that would end in promotion through the playoffs the following May. It meant City's embarrassment of entering the FA Cup early was, for now, only a one-season thing. Hi, this is Andy Morrison and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was Sam Rosbottom looking at City's FA Cup run in 98-99. Uh, time now to look ahead to the game with Huddersfield. Uh, Kieran, I've uh, I, I've dug out a nice niche stat to start with. Um, taking into account every Premier League and EFL game of the last decade, so since the 1st of January uh, 2014, this game is the uh, the teams with the best goal difference, so it's City, uh, plus 575 from 380 games, uh, against the worst goal difference, which is Huddersfield, minus 178 from 446 games. There you go. Put your house on a nil-nil draw on something. <laughs> <laughs> nil-nil in a replay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. got they got promoted with a minus two goal difference. I remember that. That is insane. Oh, wow. I think that City is, I, I think City hold the record for the lowest Premier League finish with a positive goal difference. Uh, which <laughs> right. was uh, the Kevin sense. Yeah, the Kevin Keegan season in uh, 03 04. <laughs> that makes even more sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kept, uh, kept losing games by one goal. Um and, but yeah. when they won them, they won them big. So <laughs> yeah. 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 Um so Huddersfield then, Kieran, how, for, for you in this one, how much rotation should there be? Because um, we've had a week off since Sheffield United. There'll be another week off until Newcastle and then the winter break. It, it means that there's probably not a lot of need for rest in the fixture list. But at the same time, we've been talking all season about players needing some rest. Yeah, I, I struggle with questions like this because you can never really like put yourself into Pep's thinking You know, for a starting eleven ever but when it comes to a game you know against lower league opposition um at home where maybe maybe some rest should be on the horizon for some players the, the Burton but, game is the uh, example isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah unnecessarily strong um but so yeah I, I mean it would be nice it would be nice to just see a mix of kind of like strength and some of the academy players you know, who are kind of on the fringes getting getting a starting berth. Um, it'd be see. I would like to see Rico Lewis and players like that in. Um, he's been getting plenty of game time, but it would just be nice to see him sort of in in his natural starting position. Maybe Walker could do with a do with a bit of a rest mentally maybe I, I think didn't he have a bit of a storm off after getting subbed on on Saturday as well yeah I didn't bring this up because I'm not really sure what it was about because he seemed yeah. to, he seemed to take being subbed quite well he's like he seemed to be all right coming off the pitch and then going down to the bench and then something happened and I'm not really got to the bottom of what it was yeah um so I don't know something's qu- quite not right with Walker um so maybe maybe just a, a little while out of the team um, especially when there's somebody brilliant, uh, as brilliant as Rico Lewis to step in to that position might be nice. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's really hard to know what he's going to do. I'd say with the amount of rest coming up, he probably will go fairly strong on Sunday. Yeah. Um, for, for the other side of this, uh, Mark, as well, is Guardiola is very keen on on rhythm for players. So if he, if he, like, if he rotates a good chunk of his team, given who's available at the moment, you could end up when you come back against Newcastle having players effectively having had a fortnight off and not really in the right rhythm for that game. Yeah, I, yeah, it's an odd one because rhythm, especially in a month like this, with the fixtures as spread out as they are with this winter break, a slap bang in the middle of it, 
can you even really maintain that when mm. the games are spread out as far as as they are? Um, I don't know. I think um, it might just be something that has to kind of fall by the wayside. That kind of thinking um, at this time of year, because on the other on the flip side, I do think that like when you've got these sparse stretches of fixtures and you've got the opportunity to rest, it it makes sense to be honest because it's it's almost a multiplying effect if you know what I mean. Given that the breaks are longer. Um, I look at someone like Rodri. If any, I would rest him, if anything, just so presumably City will still win the game and it will put an end to all these stats about them being, you know. Yeah. Um, and then we can we can just park that and uh, it doesn't become a narrative again uh, whenever he gets his next suspension this season. But um, <laughs> I think, yeah, look, I, I looked at last season's third round and it's not entirely comparable because it was against Chelsea, so you expect a bit of a stronger side. But, I mean, there was still Palmer, there was still... Gomez, there was still Laporte. Uh, I mean, even Mares wasn't getting in very regularly. Uh, well, I, I think at that point he still was, but in any case, um, yeah, there was still rotation there. Mm. So I think we've learned to expect from Guardiola that there'll be a bit, but there won't be lots because, again, it's this it's a small squad which we always mention as well, isn't it? You know, the, the amount of options that you have, they aren't there aren't necessarily those to choose from. So I think um, he'll try and take uh, afford players rest where he can, but otherwise it'll be it'll be largely as expected. Yeah, I mean, the other side of that, Mark, as well, is you look at a couple of players in the likes of... Well, we'll come to, to Kovacic shortly, but, I mean, Nunes has won. Um, he, he's shown some signs recently of, of settling in and, and kind of being a little bit more up to speed, but he definitely needs more experience in a City team. So a game like this is a good opportunity for him. Absolutely. I think, like, if you kind of accept that this is the adaptation year for him that a lot of City signs have to go through, then then these are the opportunities you have to just get that just just get that adaptation that you need and that rhythm and, and the repetitions and all the stuff that you're supposed to learn and memorise as a as a Guardiola player. Um, yeah, I, look, I think I, I'm kind of in the camp where I think, look, he, he, from what we've seen so far, I think it's 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 clear that he wasn't the absolute first choice for the role that, that um, he's been assigned to and the position that he's brought into play. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a dud and it doesn't mean that he won't be able to do a, do a job further down the line. Um it's games like this really where you want him to be coming in and, and getting 90 minutes and, and getting that under his belt and, mm. and just learning a few more patterns of play and et cetera, et cetera. So definitely an opportunity for him. But then I think, you know, you could probably make the case for, for several of the players who've, who've been kind of in and out of the team. Yeah, I was going to say for Kovacic, Kieran, um, he he started really brightly, and but he like he, he faded away a little bit. I guess after the Arsenal game, where he, mm. I mean, quite how he didn't get sent off is still a mystery. But it, it seemed to be like at that point, Guardiola seemed to lose a little bit of trust in him that he's not quite regained since. And it, again, there's an opportunity here for him to get it a bit more. Yeah, it's an interesting one actually because I thought he played him and Rodri's sort of. Um, double act against Sheffield United was quite impressive. Um, they seem to be supporting each other quite well, and he seems to be sort of learning a little bit from um, from what Rodri's doing on there. Uh, he scored in the Club World Cup as well, didn't he? Which was nice. It, it feels it feels again a little bit that that he that he belongs there at the at the very start. I remember, it just seemed everybody was saying that he's just like he, he just basically was um straight into the blue shirt and 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 suited it and and you know it seemed as if he'd been there for years and then the arsenal game everybody just thought he was a complete idiot um and that goodwill that he sort of had built up very early on sort of dissipated a little bit um but i think he's solidly in the background kind of coming 
coming good again that way. And yeah, I, I mean, Huddersfield would be a perfect game for to see what he can do, especially if, as, as Mark touched upon, Rodri does get his rest. Yeah. Um, the other the other player I picked out, we talked about a lot in the first part of the show, but Oscar Bob um, will... I, I mean, as much as you can see him being involved later in the season, Mark, there is, there is going to be limited opportunities for that with City out of the League Cup. So the FA Cup, I kind of guess, is, is, is a big platform for him. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm now thinking I'm just tearing down everything that I said in the first part about <laughs> Oscar Bob. But you are right that, I mean... I, 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 I can just say, I can just say, we, we get into March and April time, and see yeah. you have that run that goes like Chelsea, yeah. United, Tottenham. Like he's not going to throw him in for those. And then at that point, the Champions League, like if they're if they're still in it, they're playing Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, PSG. The you know, the real big games. Yeah, you're right. I think like look, the past six months there have been opportunities, right? There have been opportunities because of the injuries and because of players missing and because of players adapting and whatever. And um, yeah, he's had a look in and I think more than a lot of people expected, certainly up until very late in the summer. Um, so he's he's already had taken on more of a role than, yeah, than, than a lot of people predicted. But uh, yeah, these are games that, again, you, you would want him, you want to see him involved in in order to, you know, for him to learn those roles and adaptations and whatever, and, and to get more of a sense of him as a City player. I do, I do think there'll be opportunities. I just, you know... There's, with injured players, we often think that, oh, well, they're back and then they'll be back. And look, if, if, if this season has taught us anything, particularly with Stones, for example, then, you know, that's not necessarily the case, is it? Yeah. So there will be opportunities arising. Um, and I think in the glimpses that he's, we've seen that he's shown that, yeah, there, there is a, there is an element of trust there. But I guess, you know, it'd be an opportunity for 90 minutes. Um, it'd be an opportunity for a start. It'd be, yeah, we want, I think... <laughs> After that performance on Saturday, I personally I want to see more of Oscar Bob. Yeah, and I think uh, I think this is a perfect opportunity to do so. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's check in with the opposition now. I've been speaking to Matt Shaw from the Huddersfield podcast, and he takes that chance to find out how their season is going so far. Um, not great, if I'm honest, David. Um, it, it, it's sort of a continuation of last season. It's it's really a continuation of the last five years since we were relegated from the Premier League. Huddersfield's Huddersfield as a football club has really contracted, if you like. Um, we, we've been going through a, a severe shrinking phase, and you know we haven't we're seeing less money, less investment, and less interest on Huddersfield Town. And, and we went through a, a bit of a tumultuous season last year. We had um, three managers. It ended great under Neil Warnock. That was a lot of fun. Um, but under Danny Schofield and Mark Fotheringham, it was it was really mind-numbingly dull. Um, we uh, we were very much eleven men behind the ball. Defend for your lives, and don't you dare cross the halfway line. It was really painful um, until the grandmaster of escape acts came in. And this season, we've we started with him, and we just seemed to have turned a bit of a corner at the start. I think we had two wins and a draw, and then we decided we'd had enough of Neil Warnock, and we've brought in Darren Moore, who is has been very difficult to take, to shall we say, so far. Yeah, I was. I was going to say, in I, I mean, in terms of uh, kind of the club as well, there was the the takeover in June or so. Was it? Was mm. uh, how, how's how's that changed things, or has it changed things? No, uh, not really. It's it's difficult because when we were relegated from the Premier League, we had a brilliant owner. We had, um, I, I would say, one of the the better owners in in the ninety two. Just from really from uh, a community aspect as well as a footballing aspect, he took us from. League One to the Premier League um, became ill. His exit has caused 
a number of issues. In, in, I don't think there's ever a way. It's it's the old adage, isn't it? You, you stay long enough to become the villain when you're the hero, isn't it? And, and not that he is a, a villain or anything, but the way he exited probably wasn't great for us. He kind of clung on to a percentage and any money the club had to, any money the club made would, would go to trying to pay off the debt that we owed to him. It, essentially, he went, right, I'm off. I'm calling in my £50 million debt and Huddersfield Town had no way to really pay this because the players we had from the Premier League were pretty poor. Um, we made a lot of mistakes under his um, leadership and we could not sell any of them that were terrible, um, which also meant we couldn't afford anybody. So really we were scrapping for three years with parachute payments just to um, be able to pay the wages. And then COVID happened. Uh, the owner that bought it from Dean Hoyle, uh, who was the great owner, he um, his business went bankrupt. So Dean had to step back in. Unfortunately, had no interest again, really, uh, in running Huddersfield. So it was really run at the a bare minimum, if you like, uh, in survival mode. Uh, and to be honest, our squad over the last five years has just become absolutely threadbare. I think we've got seven or eight players fit for Sunday in what's probably one of the smallest squads in the top two divisions. Um, and the club's a bit of a mess. So when Kevin Nagel, uh, the American who owns um, Sacramento uh, Republic, uh, came and bought us, um, he made quite a lot of noise at the start. He's, he's quite a likeable guy. He's very engaging, uh, but he's not really done anything yet. Um, he's he's over in January. Um, they've they've kind of hidden behind, well, not hidden behind. They've, they've offered uh, financial for FFI as a a reason for not being able to spend money. Um, part and part, uh, I should say, part of that was was due to um, Dean kind of threatening to take us into administration last season, and I'm not entirely sure that that was. Um, well, when when the takeover happened, I think we were kind of frowned on as maybe a, a fringe case for uh, financial issues, maybe. Um, so the financial forecasting over the next twelve months was was pretty low. So um, under the new rules that have that have come in after takeovers, we've we've not really been able to spend a lot of money. So we've released something like between twenty five and thirty players across the the first team and B team, and brought in four or five. Um, and as soon as injuries happen, we just fall to bits. Um, and unfortunately, we've been falling to bits with injuries for about 15 months now. And uh, if you guys fancy a game of five aside on Sunday, I think we'll be more than up for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, talk to me about Darren Moore then. You said he's, he's difficult to take to. What's, uh, what, what, mm-hmm. what, what performance has been like under him? Dower. Um, when he came in, to be fair, when he came in, he tried to change a couple of things. Um, he, he wasn't really... I think he was set up really a little bit by our director of football, Mark Cartwright, who was uh, at Stoke when they were in the Premier League. Uh, it may be familiar to one or two people. Um, and he said we brought Darren Moore in due to his um, attacking philosophy on football. And unfortunately, um, that's not really the case with Darren Moore. I think anybody who's seen a Darren Moore team knows that that's probably not how they set up. Um so what happened is when Darren came in, he's a he's a lovely bloke. I think a lot of people like him as a as a human being. Um, the problem is he interviews really poorly, and I think that's the only window that we get into the manager. Uh, he uses it very vaguely. He doesn't answer any questions. Um, you know, he's just in, he's just very dull. Um, which is fine. He doesn't have to entertain us in that way, but it's also mirroring the field with his football. Uh, we got a couple of injuries when he came in and he resorted to what Mark Fotheringham did in the previous 12 months ago. And that was to stick 11 men behind the ball and just fight for a nil-nil. And 
to be honest, when we went through that last season and we had to go through it again, despite all the warning signs from last season, it just felt like we've learned absolutely nothing over the last 12 months. We brought another guy in who's like Mike Fotheringham, who's just going to stick 11 men behind the ball. And and it's not really what you want to watch um, on a Saturday afternoon. And thankfully he's loosened up a little bit uh, over Christmas. Um, And then performances were, were were quite good actually against Blackburn. We beat them three nil on Boxing Day, and then we lost two one to Middlesbrough uh, a couple of days later. Um, but to be honest, we played really well. Um, the performance was good, uh, but after seventy minutes, the players were just absolutely on the hands and knees, shattered. And I think part and parcel of that is due to Darren Moore training. And I think a lot of the players are really struggling to um, take to some of the changes implemented when uh, Darren came in in uh, September. Yeah, I was uh, I was just looking at uh, recent form, and uh, that Blackburn wins the only win since uh, the start of December. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it's difficult, I guess, because uh, I mean, you look at, at some of the other games in there, like Leicester, for instance, recently they're they're flying away with the league, so it's hard to to kind of make a judgment against. And then you, I guess, yeah. the last thing you kind of want after that is a is a trip to the Etihad, is it? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was the joke. But to be honest, it's. We're, we're really pinning all our hopes this season on the transfer window. We've been linked with um, a Chelsea midfielder today, Alex Matos. Hopefully that that goes through because we really lack numbers. Um, but to be honest, I think a lot of Huddersfield fans are looking at the Leicester and Man City games as, OK, let's just get this out of the way. Uh, and then we've got Plymouth on the 13th and Plymouth's the really big game for us this month. I know, I know that might wind a few people up maybe, but we're really focusing on survival this year and the FA Cup is sort of a distraction to be honest this season. Yeah, I was just looking at that because um Plymouth what four points ahead in the table at the moment. If you can mm. if you can get maximum points there, it suddenly it's uh, it, it'll be a real big lift as uh, three three points yeah. outside the drop zone. Are you, are you confident you can do it? You can stay up. It depends on this month. If we don't sign two or three good players this month then no we'll finish 23rd I think um, but if we bring in a couple of decent players but they, they really need to be game changing players we went through this cycle last year and I think this is why a lot of Huddersfield fans are a little bit well very down at the moment is we went through the same thing last year we had to sign a striker last year and we brought in Florian Camberry who'd got two goals in 25 games in League One and he was useless and we brought in Martin Waghorn who uh, was was a great guy, but he was just a little bit past his best in the championship. Um, and they scored between them two goals in six months. Um, and th- there's a worry, despite it being a completely new owner, completely new director of football, uh, new CEO, etc. There's just that worry that it's Huddersfield Town and we'll mess it up again. And And to be honest, January is not really the month whereby you need to go shopping and, and make sure that you get everything right. It's a very, very difficult month when you're... Uh, when you've got the money that we do. Yeah. Well, uh, let's, I mean, let, let's look on the optimistic side and uh, <laughs> say that uh, that there is an upset that happens on Sunday. Um, how, how if it happens, how do Huddersfield go about doing it? Who are the players that will, uh, that will cause the damage? Um, Sauber Thomas, I think is probably the, our outstanding player at the moment. He's, um, he played in the World Cup for Wales, probably not that well known, I would imagine, to a lot of Man City fans. But he's a very hard worker. He's, I wouldn't say he was a, a bag of tricks or anything, but he, he, he does just about enough to get by. Uh, his delivery is good and he's currently playing up front at the minute because we've we've had one striker all season and he's been injured all season. So he's having to play up front at the minute and he's sort of pulling off into uh, good half spaces and, and pulling wide at the moment and, and causing quite a few problems for a few 
few teams. Um, but yeah, I think to be honest, it would be Sauber Thomas on a set piece and someone like that, one of the centre backs, Michal Helic or Tom Lee's um, coming in at the far post. Um, I think that would be our, our best option of uh, of a surprise. Yeah, where have you been uh, weakest this season? Um, I mean, it's I, I, I saw you tweet that uh, you seem to have a bit of a problem just after half time as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't know what they put in the tea um, or <laughs> or what Darren Moore says to them. Um, yeah, we, we concede a lot at the start of each half. It's um, it's it's been a bit frustrating, and it's it's almost like it's, it's pantomime season, isn't it? So you've got people shouting to switch on, etc., in the crowd because they know what's going to happen. Um, and yeah, we. We are a little bit slack just after half time in particular. Um, we're a little bit slack most of the second half, to be honest. Um, but yeah, we we don't have any decent forward players at the minute who can cause issues other than Sorber Thomas. We had uh, Delano Bergzog, who's a very, very interesting striker. He'll, I, I think when you watch like Match of the 70s, David, and things like that, and you see some of the old old players like Charlie George where they just kind of do what they want on a football field you know? <laughs> uh, he's, he's like that he just does what he wants and he's quite good at it when he wants to be uh, other weeks he's you know it, not, not that this is true but you know the, the stories of Charlie George and, and etc running up the the street the street uh, 10 minutes before kickoff having been to the bookies etc you know you expect Delano Bergzog to be you know <laughs> to be very similar although they're not allowed to bet I know yeah, uh, but he's 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 very much a maverick in in what he does. He doesn't follow any rules, and he's been great to watch. And then, um, unfortunately, uh, a Blackburn centre back decided to uh, tackle him at knee height on Boxing Day, and he's out for a few months now. So that's uh, unfortunately he's fallen uh, fallen to the uh, the curse. But uh, he's a lot of fun. Uh, Josh Karama can do things on his day, um, but we really do lack uh, in forward areas. And I'll be very very surprised if we um, lay a glove on on Man City, if I'm honest. Yeah, well, uh, let's get it out of the way then. We've got uh, a charity bet coming up a bit later on. Um, I like to give my prediction over to our guests. So uh, what's your score prediction for this game? How do you think it's going to go? 5-0. Um, <laughs> I think we lost 6-1 in the Premier League and we had a half-decent team then. So, um, yeah, it, it just depends if Man City turn up and, and to what, what gear they decide to move in. But... Um, I would expect between you know sort of four five nil if Man City do turn up and Kevin De Bruyne gets on the field, he's uh, he's caused us a lot of pain in the past. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer: StatCity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to StatCity.co.uk and browse away. That's StatCity.co.uk. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. That was Matt Shaw. Um, we've heard there that Matt's worried about Kevin De Bruyne being on the field. Um, Kieran, I, do, do you think he could be? There's I, He went out for that little jog from the bench against Sheffield United, but I got the sense that there was never any danger of him coming on. Um, does that change, uh, you know, a week on? Uh, I think he will feature at some point, but... I, I believe read during the week that he, Newcastle was the game they were targeting him to return for properly. Um, but 
I think it would, it could be a good game for him to get a run out in, um, lose some of the ring rust a little bit. Because I, I mean, the the old adage that I don't always believe in, like, but if he's you know if he's fit enough to be on the bench, kind of thing, um, he must surely be fairly ready. But uh, the perfect comparison, as Marks just said, is, is Stones, and we know what's happened with De Bruyne when you know he, he just he's getting on a little bit, isn't he? And and rushing him back from injury is just. It can't happen anymore. We've massively, massively missed him this season. Haaland's massively missed him this season. Um, so it has, it has to be, it has to be a process that is taken very seriously, and we have to be very, very careful. So it would be nice to see him getting a, a ten or twenty minute run out against Huddersfield, depending on what way the score is and what way the, uh, the sort of context of the game is going. Yeah, is it is it even just a psychological thing? Do you think, Mark, of just like get him on the pitch and like make him feel comfortable on the pitch for a bit? Yeah, I think the psychology was in the little warm up on Saturday. To be honest, yeah. I think that was you know <laughs> I, I enjoyed the little tease. I guess I guess it wasn't a strip tease. He would have to take off his training top for that. Wouldn't it? But, um, <laughs> now I think, yeah, psychologically, um, it's not going to be. But it's interesting psychologically because uh, there was that clock quote this week, wasn't there? Like everybody, everybody is. Uh, hearing about Kevin De Bruyne coming back and taking a deep breath. I don't think those were the exact words. It was actually much better than that. But something along those lines, he was like, everybody's shitting themselves, basically, because yeah. Kevin De Bruyne is coming back. Um, and, like, I, I, you do get that sense, I think, around the rest of the league, and especially with all the talk about, oh, well, City will, will just go on one of their runs and, you know, uh, and, and yeah, blow everyone away and win the league this all kind of hinges on this idea that De Bruyne is going to come back to his absolute best. And so I think when it, look, if a few minutes in, in the Huddersfield game aren't going to hurt, then then so be it. Why not? But also, as, as Kim's just said, City really need to manage this right. Um, mm. He's 33 this year. The injury was serious enough. A lot of faith is being put in him coming back to his very best. And so you absolutely want to see him at his very best when he does come back. And I think, he always said January. Um, that's what he said at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. We're in January now, so sure there's a chance. But uh, I, I think, I, I think probably St James's Park is more likely. I'd yeah, say. he's uh, he's 33 this year, but he's 32 until he's 33. We know that. Um, <laughs> it's true. That's yeah, how it works. Yeah. Um, Kieran, a player we didn't talk about uh, earlier on who uh, may get a chance in this game. Uh, perhaps we should have been talking about given City's relative lack of options and uh, given his display against Red Star. Uh, Micah Hamilton, um, could you see him being involved at the weekend? Yeah, I could. And I think he, he should be. This is the kind of game, uh, cup games are perfect for this. Um, and... You know, we keep going on about it, but it's very true that the the squad numbers are limited. Um, these are the kind of games where traditionally, um, youth players got a bit of a run out, and depending on what way, again, kind of like De Bruyne, depending on on what way the what way the game is going in the context of it, it might be nice to bring him on. I don't, I don't know if he'll get a start, um, because the Red Star game was effectively a dead rubber, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, um, pretty much. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I'd say pretty much. It was absolutely a dead rubber. Yeah. Right. So, so maybe he's not just got the trust, you know, in in a, in a game that matters necessarily. But um, for such a debut that he had, and um, 
City fans will want to be seeing more of him. So yeah, it it might be a nice kind of um, underlining of the of the trust that he has and, and of the skills that he has. And if he doesn't play, at least he could do ball boy. He's got experience there. <laughs> yeah, um, Mark, I I know from my own experience of doing Let Me Talk that I watched uh, this game at Sam Lee's house, so I know he didn't go to this game. Uh, did you have to to trek over to Belgrade to uh, to, to watch this? And if you did, was it was uh, Hamilton a, a bright spark to it? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't actually. The, That's okay uh, then. The, they, they didn't stump up the the cash for the paper, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, yeah, no, look, I think it, look the Red Star gave him. It was such a for Hamilton. It was such a fairy tale, wasn't it? Um, and yeah, like naturally, as Kimmy says, people want to see more of that. I think equally, the pessimist in me thinks it can only go downhill from here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no, but that's probably been a bit harsh. Look, like I mean, he played he played brilliantly right that night, and it was such just a fairy tale, as I said. Um, he's had a tough couple of years with injury setbacks. Again, you probably need to be careful in that respect, but like he did more than enough that night to deserve another run out, I think, this yeah. season. And and this is the game, isn't it? Let's face yeah. it, this is the game. So, yeah, and if it affords the opportunity for someone else to have a, a breather or whatever, then, then yeah, why not? This is where we uh, the team sheet comes out on Sunday and Rodri's in it, Harlan's in it. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, there's not a youth player in sight. Yeah. Um, we had a winner against Sheffield United on the charity bet. Adam Carter was the man who got it, taking the total for the season up to £610. William Hill has given us three £10 correct score singles and we're collecting for the Man City fans food bank support group. They'll be in the usual spot under the bridge near Asda from midday on Sunday to collect for the Trussell Trust. So go and see them if you can. Um, we heard earlier on that Matt uh, is not feeling particularly confident about this game. He's gone for a 5-0 City win, uh, which is 8-1 to one and £80 if he's right. Kieran, what are you having for this? Uh, a 3-0 City win. 3-0 is 5-1 to one and uh, 50 quid if you're right. Mark, uh, you sent me your prediction about 15 seconds after Kieran got there with the 3-0 oh, first, man. so you had, to, you had to change. What have you gone to? Well, I've gone 4-0. As, as I explained, I'm following a policy where if I go for the one with the lowest odds, that's the highest likelihood of return, which I think is how betting works. And I don't need this money. Clearly, the food bank needs this money. So please, like, 4-0, 4-0. And, and if we pick the two lowest odds scores, then uh, we stand a pretty good chance, right? Uh, that's that's surely how it works. Uh, four nil is uh, six to one and sixty quid if you're right. Uh, so you can bet the house on a Huddersfield goal in the first ten minutes. Uh, remember, <laughs> you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, we will finish with some listener questions. Get in touch for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can fill in the form on bluemoonpodcast.com and send us an email as well. Uh, that's what Dave Spires has done. He says, "Do you notice the difference in tone between how people, fans, or some journalists?" pundits talk about City's Premier League charges and their case with the Premier League compared to how they talk about others. I had let it wash over me with Everton's points deduction because I could understand why, even if I didn't agree with it. There was a shock at the suddenness of Everton's punishment while the case with City was still ongoing, and I thought people would understand the difference that Everton had admitted their guilt while City haven't and are fighting the allegations. But now it's been reported Nottingham Forest might fall foul of FFP. The same story seems to be playing out. Do you think City will always be the villains? Kieran, well, as, as the fan on the panel this week, uh, do you get the same sense? Yeah, no, I totally agree with Dave Spires there. Uh, it's 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 knackering, isn't it? It's it really does exhaust you a little bit to go online. Um, and I live in Liverpool as well, which we've talked about before. So the, it it is record timing between the Everton charges being brought up 
and City's name being dragged into it. Um, if I sit in the staff room and work and everybody's talking about Everton, it will be a matter of seconds before, oh, but what about City? What about City? Um, I was in the Barbers a couple of weeks ago as well, and uh, the, the two Barbers, the guy in the chair and the guy waiting, were just all talking about it. It was a, a literal barbershop quartet, uh, <laughs> uh, a chorus. Were, they, were, were they doing it in song, though? That's the <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, just staring at myself in the mirror in the, in the Barbers chair going, fucking hell, if only they knew I was a City fan. But it's just like, it goes... Everton's charges, and then it just immediately shifts attention to City. And it, it, like this, what about about absolutely everything in football? I saw Shearer tweeted the other day, didn't he, that um, Jota's dive against Newcastle was embarrassing. And in a matter of minutes, somebody had dry, dragged up a clip of Alan Shearer against Leicester kicking Neil Lennon in the face in 1998. And it's just like, oh, can nobody say anything at the moment without you know somebody reaching back into time and comparing it? just something else but like the context isn't even the same um i'm so bored of the legalities and it's 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 not my kind of ballpark at all i, I don't understand really the laws or the finances or anything like that's so what i tend to back out of it but presumably everton did something that they were guilty of and they were punished accordingly um city have been charged with something that they might be guilty of and the charges and the investigation is ongoing and if you know, if they are guilty, they'll be charged accordingly. It's just the way it's talked about at the moment is is really, really exhausting. And, and nobody can just have an opinion on one team or one player or one issue without dragging comparisons in. And it, it just gets exhausting because, as you say, City always seem to be the villains of the piece. Yeah, Mark. For for you, when you when you're reporting on City, do you ever find that you know if you if you ever put a story out there that is uh, absolutely nothing to do with anything that that, that City have been charged with? You look at the replies to your tweet, and it just it just filled with people asking about the charges and and what's going on. One hundred percent, yeah, <laughs> that's literally all it is. Um, yeah, no, it is, um, and I like I can I can sympathise. Right, I'm not a city fan, uh, but I cover the club, and I see I'm involved in the discourse, if you like, and I can see that. I think for me, kind of the response to. Everton's punishment was really was really quite baffling, and and how that related to City because, you know, for years, um, for for years, all you really heard was Everton fans quite rightly having a go at how badly the club was run, um, often from <laughs> yeah. Mashiri down to the bloke in the IT department. You know, they're all getting it at, <laughs> at certain times at Goodison, and um, and but then the punishment was meted out, and there was a lot of, you know, it was about the, how the Premier League was corrupt and how Everton had been treated unfairly. I think, look, if clubs break the rules in the way Everton did, then you need harsh punishments. Otherwise, otherwise, um, uh, other clubs would break them without fear of consequence, really. So I thought I thought that was fair enough. I didn't really get a lot of the fury around Everton's punishment. But I think it is important to say at the same time that Cities is a very different, and to be honest, if it is proved that it's much harder to prove, it's much more serious ac- accusation. Um, so if there's a if there is a difference in tone, I think between fans and journalists and whatever, then then it, it stems from the fact that you know cities is a much more complex and much more serious case if it's proved. Um, so evidence was a re- relatively simple kind of you've spent more money than you were allowed to spend over these three years. You've failed the PSR test and therefore you've been fined the points. I mean, relatively simple, it's still a very complex case. Cities is obviously much greater stretch, much greater length of time. So. All of that is going to, you know, all of that is going to um, inform the commentary and the debate around it. But I do, I do have sympathy for 
City fans in how um, it gets dragged into absolutely everything. But it's absolutely, you know, let's let's not um, beat around the bush either. This is whenever this issue is eventually resolved, it's going to define um, the past ten years of the club's history and probably the, the ten years going forward as well. So um, I can see why there's differences in the debate around it, but at the same time, I think. Everybody needs to understand that they're two very separate and distinct, and 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 particularly in City's case, a very a very complex um, set of accusations. Does do you think the fact that it is ongoing, Kieran, is is part of the problem here as well? In that because it doesn't have a resolution, and there is an assumption from a lot of people that City have been charged, therefore they must be guilty. Yeah, and also this one hundred and fifteen number that's bandied about so regularly, you know, because a lot of the argument came from Everton were guilty of one thing and City are guilty of 115 things. So surely their punishment should be, I don't know, 115 times greater than, than what Everton got. Um, but nobody seems to realise that it is ongoing. And then when they think about it being ongoing, then, you know, City's lawyers and City, this is something that I hear a lot in the staff room is that City are going to get away with it because they've got so much money and because the Premier League's so corrupt and But that um, I mean that that's the thing though, isn't it? Get away with it. Because you, yeah. you like like what happens now? I, I mean, everyone's talking now what happens um when City are guilty, but what happens yeah. if City are not? Like like th- there's always going to be the assumption that they've got away with it rather than they're not guilty. That's it, yeah. Um and even though even though we were cleared by Cass uh, in 2020, you know this, this still assumption of guilt hangs over us, and um, the fingers always being pointed, and it's it's like we've cooked the books, and we are guilty. It was just that it was time barred, and we, you know we managed to kind of find a loophole as opposed to you know actually playing it fairly. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just constantly you can't do right for doing wrong. Like if you if City are proven to be not guilty and proven to be innocent over all of this, it will it, that tag will still be attached and. This kind of theory will be that yeah we've just we've just spent all the money you know that we have on the best lawyers to to wrangle out of it as opposed to actually you know everything was above board um so but I mean you see you see Jamie Carragher tweeting about the charges and you know these are like these are high profile Sky Sports pundits who've got big followings and uh, whose voices are listened to a lot throwing their toys out of the pram you know in anger tweeting about it you know replying to some some mighty city fan online um and throwing these 115 charges back up and it's just like it's never ever going to go away even you know even if city are proven innocent it, it's it's almost like things are tarnished now forever yeah my uh, my mission to mend football discourse isn't going particularly well, I must admit, at the moment. <laughs> um, uh, let's have this from John on Twitter, who says, uh, David, since you asked the fans at the beginning of last week's show if they were planning any City-related New Year's resolutions, what do you guys think should be some resolutions for some City players for 2024? Mine would be for Kyle Walker to stop fancying a shot from 30 yards. Um, <laughs> any any that you've uh, that you've thought of, Kieran, that uh, City players might want to uh, might want to make their resolution for 2024? This won't be popular with you, David, but Ruben Diaz should stop pulling his shorts up every time uh, a set-piece <laughs> play is coming in. <laughs> I don't know why he does that. I, I, why don't, does like, he do that? It, it, I can't see what, what benefit it would have. 
he just holds on to his shorts, yanks them up a little bit, full thigh <laughs> exposure, and then the corner comes in and he like <laughs> his shorts are still up. Uh, so yeah, that's one. Um, although the the Ruben Diaz fans might not want to see that one disappear. I uh, I thought for a second you were going to come for his hallowed thirst traps on Instagram, and I was like, no, 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 we, 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 you, you, this is war now. If you're coming for that, <laughs> uh, Mark, any for you that you thought of? Uh, well, actually, I was thinking of Ruben Diaz as well because one of my uh, resolutions this year is to try and – I mean, this is the most shameful thing I'm ever going to commit to all you, I think, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually to try to use LinkedIn more for my job. So I thought maybe <laughs> if I assume more of that energy, maybe he can assume a bit less of it and, you know, chill out a bit sometimes <laughs> with that stuff. So, yeah, that was that was it. Um He's not even got LinkedIn, I don't think. Although I looked before, he's just he's just got that aura, the, that just high performance big mentality. LinkedIn energy, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you, yeah. Go. you know what? Weirdly, uh, when trying to get interviews for the podcast, LinkedIn has been a very good source of ex-player material. That they, mm. they, for some reason, they, 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 it seems with the social media that they all use and actually yeah. respond on. So yeah, I'm finding this as I'm finding this as well. With just in regards to general, I should have been onto this much earlier than like my seventh <laughs> year in football journalism. But yeah, no. Um, <laughs> But I'm expanding my network as we speak, so don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah, so get those invitations sent out. Um, <laughs> finally, Sam on Twitter says, uh, since the traitors return this week and I'm obsessed, which City players would make good traitors and who would need to be faithfuls? Um, I'm assuming uh, both of you are up to speed on the on the, on the the traitors, uh, whether whether or not you've seen the start of the series. I, well, there's no going to be no spoilers here because I know some listeners won't have seen it. Um, but uh, I, I assume you both know the, the format of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Familiar. So, uh, who who would need to be a traitor? Do you think, Kieran? Um, well, Akanji's the United fan, isn't he? So he's... <laughs> automatically, <laughs> yeah, automatically mm-hmm. a traitor. No trust in there. Uh, I was thinking because Kovacic uh, celebrated Cole Palmer's goal against us, didn't he? Um, <laughs> do, do you remember that? Uh, when when Palmer scored the penalty, there's footage of Kovacic sort of like doing the double fists. Um, so. I'm kind of I'm kind of looking at him a little bit with uh, suspicious eyes, and um, Nunez, yeah, well he signed from Wolves, didn't he? So you could never never trust him that way. A, a wolf in Bert's clothing, really. Um, <laughs> God, I wondered where you were going with that. It's the most fisted thing I've ever heard. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't. I think Nunez has got a face that kind of says that he doesn't have much kind of going on, but. Um, he probably he probably would be clever enough to to backstab a few people, um. Yeah, so they'd be my they'd be my three. I I was thinking, Mark, uh, that Grealish would absolutely have to be a faithful because he wouldn't. Oh, he, he just he, like he, he, he's too, just too trusting of everybody. Surely. Yeah, I think he'd just be too nice and too like yeah, the puppy dog. Sort of like, what am I talking about? Yes, whatever. Like, I think like, <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? Though he's got that he's got that kind of just naiveness about him that yeah, yeah. that innocence that innocence. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, um, I was thinking for this uh, Bernardo, but only because. I actually don't know whether he'd be a faithful or a traitor. So I think he'd It'd be a really good traitor in that case. Confuse yeah. everybody and win the whole thing. Yeah. That's that's that is the concept of the show, if I understand it. I, I was a I, I joined a bit late to it last year, but yeah, he would seem to because he I think he would either be like a guy who, you know, got picked on by everybody else and, and lulled them all into a false sense of security. And and then he's also got that bit of snide to him, I think. 
He's got that devilment, doesn't he? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think he'd run out the absolute winner in the end. Yeah. You're thinking you're thinking of the guard of honor again, aren't you? <laughs> that's it. That was exactly what was going to mind. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Kieran, I, I, just on Bernardo. I mean, I, I know we've got moving away from the question a bit here, but um, like you're in Liverpool. Is he is he as hated in Liverpool as I sense he is? Yes. Um, yeah. After after the Liverpool game, when we were talking about it in work. You know, people were saying, I don't like him as a player, but that Bernardo, you know, like I don't like him as a person, but that <laughs> Bernardo is a player. Um, and whenever Liverpool fans can be quite earnest sometimes, in case you didn't know, um, so <laughs> they, don't, they don't often see the funny side of stuff. So when I'm pissing myself recalling that um, that coffee cup on the Guard of Honour, like they're, they're not over it yet at all. Like they really, really do hold a grudge. It's, it's very funny. He's my favourite player. So I like, I love it. Uh, think back to that all the time. I think it's just like unbelievably funny. Um, but <laughs> the, the funny side is not seen at all on the uh, on the Mersey Shores. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, BBC, if you can get it, if you can get the budget together to get a city version of the Traitors going, I will. Uh, I'll be there every single episode on iPlayer. <laughs> so uh, get it going. Uh, but for now, that brings us to an end for this episode of Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks as ever to my two guests, Kieran Murray. For the champions, stand up. <laughs> Mark Richley. <laughs> Cheers, nice one. Uh, I'll be back next week to review the Huddersfield game and look ahead to the trip to Newcastle. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. And join us again next time for another episode.